Hey everybody, welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. I'm Spencer Martin, the author of the Beyond the Peloton newsletter, which breaks down pro cycling. I'm here with Andrew Vance of the Choose the Hard Way podcast. We are going through the final three episodes of the Tour de France Unchained documentary on Netflix. We will get to our Tour de France preview tomorrow. So if you want that, that's coming. Don't worry. We're just waiting for uh, the first wave of COVID to go through the Peloton, completely wipe out the start list, and then we'll have the most up-to-date preview. But we are going through episodes six, seven, and eight. But Andrew, do you want to say a quick word about your podcast before we get going? I definitely do. And before I jump in, I want to let people know that this episode is going to be bigger and more shocking than Peter Peter Sagan's recent uh, gravel surfing, asphalt surfing incident at Nationals. Yeah. So Choose the Hard Way is a podcast about how hard things are fun and build stronger humans. Come check us out at Hardway Pod on social media. Choose the Hard Way everywhere that you listen and choosetheheartway.com. During the tour, we're going to have Mitch Docker, Brent Bookwalter, who I spoke to today. Both of those, I think, are pretty incredible interviews, like really interesting people. Uh, so if you love pro cycling, come check us out and all kinds of other fun stuff. Just had Keegan Swenson on last week, had Brian Coe, creator of Velo Worthy, on the episode that dropped today. And he's producing some of the, the best, most interesting content about what's going down in the world of pro gravel racing that you are not reading in other media outlets. So come check it out. I mean, you're getting insane guests. Mitch Docker, Brent Bookwater, like what's going on there? You're, who's your booker? You must have uh, you must have Ari Emanuel from, what is that, CAA on retainer? And, and they're just lining up your guests because that's an impressive guest list you have going. Real quick before we get into this show, uh, I, I am a little off the back on the Peter Sagan stuff. Obviously, we all know he was arrested in Monaco like three years ago for violating a curfew and being drunk. And he just uh, got arrested for drunk driving recently, three-month suspended sentence, not great before the tour. He crashed, I guess they say he crashed at Nationals. I saw a video, was that Nationals? Uh, Because in the results, he's second at his national championships in a bunch sprint. Like, what what is going on here? Was that a mixed, was that like Slovakia and the Czech Republic doing their race together? Because the results I'm seeing don't really match what I saw when I saw the crash. Like, do you have any information on that? Probably no more than you and Google, Spencer. What I'm reading here on cyclingup2date.com, which I'm not highly familiar with. I don't know if we can trust oh, they're the good. Those, those, they're looking. Okay. All right. So we've got a screenshot from 62623 where Sagan is about to start surfing on the pavement on his, his right outer thigh. And it says, he, what does it say here? This was alongside Slovakian and Czech riders. So perhaps this was a combined field. And that is the extent of the story. It gives us one paragraph. So it's a combined national championships. Yes. Yes. Because a Czech yeah. rider was winning. Mateus Vacek, who's Czech. Yes. Pavel Bittner, Team DSM, was second. Yeah, it's confusing, but then it's all mixed together. It's I found the whole thing, obviously it was a bad crash. I found it really strange that like he was taking major risks. Well, I guess this explains it. He was taking big, big risks in the sprint after Vacek had won, basically crossed the finish line. I'm thinking like, what is going on? Why is Peter Sagan trying to put his bike in a gap that doesn't exist the week before a tour to get third in a national championship? But I guess he was competing for the Slovakian national championship inside of that race. All of this is to say, I'm so old. I remember when he used to win these by like five minutes. I mean, the fact that he, this is even coming down to a sprint finish shows you Peter Sagan is not the writer that he used to be. Yeah. I remember when Peter Sagan was having a non-alcoholic beer at the Chuck E. Cheese up in Valencia, (laughs) north of Los Angeles on the Magic Mountain stage of the Tour of California. So yeah, it's, it's, he's been around for a minute. It's disappointing to hear the recent news and of course, to see him crash I don't have a high degree of confidence in how that left leg is going to perform after that Cirque du Soleil style move he uh, executed there in the sprint. I'm also, yeah, what was going on? I mean, maybe, I guess that's what a sprinter does. They're looking for those yeah. gaps that are not discernible. To- <laughs> there was no gap and he was going <laughs> through it. It was, 
it, it was actually I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I'm like, I guess he really cares about that race. I guess he's a racer. No matter. I mean, if we're being honest, the guy is probably. It seems like since his divorce, his lifestyle has devolved a bit, and he's boozing a lot and not maybe keeping up on the training. But when he's in the race, I mean, he cares. Like that that takes a lot of. He's he was risking it all in that race to try to put his nose in a gap that did not exist. Likely coming soon to a gravel event in America near you, starting in fall 2023, would be my guess. Do we? Re- I, I mean, maybe. Yeah. Could does he really have that in him? Like to be out at? I mean, those races are like tough. Like he's going to be out in like Utah doing the Crusher and the Tusher. Like maybe. That seems like that would be hard to motivate yourself for when you were the best rider in the sport for a long time, popping around on private jets. But maybe, I don't know, maybe he can make private jet money, gravel racing. I don't know. It's, I'm a little more skeptical about that. Stay tuned, Spencer. All right. So the last three episodes of this, um, episode six, I'm just going to list them and then we'll go through them in any order we want. So episode six, plan B. Alpus into Koenig. I cannot wait to talk to you about this. Matthew Vanderpool is just not good at this race. I don't know who designed his uh, this plan, but it was never going to work. Jasper Philipson, they shine the light of him on him. I kind of have some issues about how they portray him. Great sprinter. He does well. He wins the stage. Episode seven, everything for the podium, focusing again back on FDJ and David Godou, their leader, and his fight for the podium. Same thing with Garrett Thomas on Ineos. And then episode eight, Road to Paris. Uh, they're going to Paris. Jonas Vinegard and Wild are, are duking it out for, for the time trial win on, I believe, stage, stage 20. And then it kind of highlights the stage 21 sprint finish, which I thought never looked better than in this episode. I, I'm not a lover of the final stage in Paris, but man, I thought it looked good in, in this documentary. I can't wait to talk to you about that. But going back, episode six. six Matthew Vanderpool has a line early in this episode. So he comes to the tour. He's their big star. He's just immediately not good. Like last wheel in the race. Clear that this isn't going to work. And he says, I just finished the Giro three weeks ago. I didn't really, pl- I didn't really think this through. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I would say so. And it's funny because at the time we were saying, who planned this, this schedule? It was never going to work, but they must have some, some theory behind it. No, they don't. They just said, hey, you're going to do the Giro. You've never raced a Grand Tour before, but we're going to do two Grand Tours in two months. And I'm sure that's going to work out. Doesn't work out. Do you have any thoughts on that? On Vanderpool just being straight up really tired? Yeah, thinking back on the Giro last year as well, he spent a lot of time doing very Matthew Vanderpool things. Not highly strategic. Maybe he was going for a high TSS. You know, really. That's wanted- <laughs> exactly what it looked like he was doing. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to pull up to the new Scratch Cafe in Boulder. One of his friends to see his massive TSS, a high IF on some of those Giro stages. So perhaps that's what he was going after. And you get the feeling he's a highly impulsive writer. And we know that he's on a team that's structured in such a way that he has that autonomy to go for it. It's very much the case, thinking back on that Alp Duez stage episode where Pidcock says, like, more or less, I don't really like writing for other people, but that's what I have to do to be here. And I, of course, just want to be going for the win all the time, which is also something that Wout more or less said. And we can talk about that more when we get to episode eight. But you get the feeling that Vanderpool, of those three Galacticos, he kind of has the setup that the others might want to have. And we also, I think, in this episode, are seeing the limits of that strategy, Spencer. Yeah, exactly. This, this perhaps is the teleology of giving someone carte blanche to do whatever they want with their schedule. And again, thinking back on what had happened for Matthew Vanderpool, the long year, the Olympic removable bridge crash, the back issues, the Giro, a lot had happened in, uh, in the months and year prior to the Tour de France. So yeah, you know, and from a sponsor point of view and also reflecting on what we saw in trying to remember which episode it was. Yeah. Episode three, um, 
where we saw the French teams encouraging a rider with a torn muscle to stay in the race. Here we have Matthew Vanderpool, who's, I mean, he's exhausted and he clearly does not have good legs because of horrible non-strategic planning. But man, you would think you would want this guy at the tour winning stages, probably above all else. Yeah, you would have. You were going back in time. He he did the fir- you'd do the first ten days of the Giro, then he'd leave on the first rest day, right? Like that would make the most sense. Recover to the tour. You can even tell in when they show him at his training camp between the Giro and the tour. Just he looks exhausted. Like he's not good. You can immediately tell this isn't going to go well. I mean, kudos for the team to just kind of recognize right away like this isn't going to work. Uh, he should just go home. But yeah, I, I would think that having your best rider on their best form at the biggest race would be the right plan. And this is also the episode that introduces us to Christoph Rudhoof, Rudhoof, um, maybe one of the most intense people I've ever met in my life. The man is 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 downright scary. Uh, what what did you think about uh, introduce? I I would say he's the opposite of Vodders, where very good at his job at running a team amazing at the nuts and bolts would maybe be the world's worst TV personality about cycling. Well, Spencer, since you've actually met him and interviewed for a job there, perhaps you could say more. I mean, he's like, uh, almost, I I would describe him, and I don't mean this in a negative way, like a robot. (laughs) Like I, we, at the, I think on episode eight, he's like, we won the race. I have, I have no, I have no positive sensations about this. I am just thinking about the next win. <laughs> like, oh my God, like your life is this team. You demand excellence from yourself and everyone around you. They're even just joking about, uh, you know, it's funny. So Jasper Philipson is how I would say his name. And that's how everyone else said his name. He did introduce himself as Jasper Philipson. I'm not, so I'm not, I'm a little confused about how to say his name, but Philipson, who's a very good sprinter, they, they're just joking that he never has anything right. They call him Jasper Disaster. <laughs> they just bring this up to Christoph, and he's just like, he can't even find this funny in the interview. He's like, no, I don't believe in disasters. Disasters are not good in cycling. Cycling is about having a plan and executing the plan. <laughs> it's like, this guy does not joke around about pro cycling, but He's not, he's not going to string together a bunch of poetic sentences about it, but you can tell he takes his job very seriously, which is how he and his brother have kind of brought this team that we really had a small budget, still does not have a massive budget. They run on, on a relative shoestring and made them like one of the most dominant teams in the sport. So he's very good at it. Just he's, uh, he's not, I would say, not the, the most cuddly person I've ever seen on TV. He did not seem overly excited when they finally got the stage win either, I noticed. He's just, I in think this, he's in just- In this episode. Yeah, yeah, he needs, he's, if they win, he's thinking, well, well, now we got to win again. I don't think he ever really pauses to think about success, but it was actually kind of refreshing, right? Because we've seen, probably something I'm growing tired of with this documentary is just, writer does well. Director freaks out. Writer has a problem. Director freaks out, just like slamming things, yelling into the radio where you could imagine it would actually be very re- refreshing and what you need during like the course of a three grand tour. Like you're exhausted, your nerves are fried, and you just have a super straightforward director who's giving you information. There, there's really no emotion in anything he's saying. There's intensity, but it's not overly emotive. That would probably be what I would want when I'm racing a three week race. So obviously the riders are responding well to it. I did take a little bit of issue where it's like, okay, Vanderpool's out. Now we have to rely on this idiot, Jasper, Jasper Philipson. This guy can't do anything right. Like he's like one of the best sprinters in the world, an extremely versatile and talented rider. Um, They kind of highlighted his celebration. I think that was stage four, stage four, right? Or five. It was the stage that Wout won solo. Philipson takes a big risk against the barriers, sprints for second, thinks he won, didn't win. Uh, the team was not too happy about it. And I thought what was interesting about that is Philipson just kept saying, like, I don't like that's impossible. I don't understand how someone could have gotten away and stayed away. Like that's how and it like put into context how good Van Art is that he couldn't even comprehend that someone would have been able to stay in front of the Peloton on that run in from the final climb. 
the specific thing that really jumped out at me, like <clears throat> number one, you just mentioned that Rudhoft is known for his meticulousness, his attention to detail, his precise and logical manner. Yet somehow Philipson didn't know that Wow Van Art had won the race. That struck me as extremely odd. I mean, I don't know, maybe his earpiece fell out. I don't the think chaos can, of the sprint. I don't think they can hear anything. I think that's like the dirty little secret of the radios. No one knows what the hell's going on. Like if you're going that fast, think of, think if you're riding 35 miles an hour on your bike, the wind in your ears is I I don't think they can hear a thing. Well, Spencer, that I think then begs the question of if Cannondale can design a water bottle cage that <laughs> saves two watts at 40 kilometers per hour, as I read this week on the front page of a digital cycling outlet, then how is it possible that in 2023, we still have people in the world who are riding around with athletic tape on their ears and earpieces and radios that seem to never work? Like, can we fix this? Can I, it's something that I've I thought mean, about. I'll just throw this out here. I know that we have people from both Shimano and SRAM monitoring this show specifically very closely. I know that's going on within these corporations. I have strong it's a full-time signal. position actually at both of those companies. Yeah. So, so we've got we've got blips, we've got satellite shifters, we've got whoop de doos. Can you are you are you telling me we couldn't have one of those buttons be the push to talk to turn a radio on and off? We're always seeing people reaching in their jersey craning their head down, doing really dangerous things. You couldn't just push a button on your hoods and perhaps have a, uh, a something that could conduct vibration in a different manner than a physical microphone and an earpiece that potentially works. I know I'm getting way off topic here. Don't yeah, stop me. I, they, they shouldn't have to. That is crazy. They have to take their hands off the bars. I get the Dauphiné, I believe. Alaphilippe right. was dicking around as he does with his radio and he got attacked and it's tough because your hands are on the bars you can't respond it is weird that no one actually johan Bernil was like a really worked i think they had like amd as a sponsor on the late discovery channel years and they worked on like on radios but i i think since then there's been no advancement in these radios it's probably tough there's not a big market for it they're just like what low frequency short range basically just radios that you would play with as a kid i but like my airpods never work i, I can never I, get them i think it's pair. a little more yeah i think it's a little more sophisticated than that spencer maybe i mean I'm what not, do you think I, yeah i'm not sure it's about that I mean, technology maybe it's, there's not a huge market for that type of thing uh, this technology was used throughout the global war on terror for the for 20 plus years so i'm pretty sure that there's a more refined version of this it was used throughout the military and definitely in the most elite military units. So I'm not sure why we don't have something that works a little bit better for professional cycling. I mean, maybe it's the case that it's not, it, there's like too onerous of a weight penalty. I don't know. Anyway, we're getting way off topic here. Let's get back. Woo! Let's get All back right. in the mix. All right. But it, yeah, you, you drive home a good point. How do they not know about this? I, you got the feeling the team blamed him. No one in that management team was stepping up, patting the chest and saying, my bad. Sorry, I should have told you. It they kind of blamed him. <laughs> Even had this cutaway to like a training camp where <laughs> maybe like pooped on his shoes. Um, I thought that was, oh, you think he pooped on his own shoes, or you, I thought I he, he stepped was, in poop. I think he was pooping, and he was worried he stepped in his own poop. Or is it how I read it? Okay, we're gonna we're gonna take this offline, and uh, we're gonna try to come back with more actionable information on that. We're not totally sure. Something that I wanted to note about that moment when Philipson learns that Wow Fan Art is one, he uses a specific phrase that to me, within the context of professional cycling, means something very specific. And I'm wondering if it struck you, Spencer, but Philipson, when he's talking about Wow Fan Art winning, he says that that's not possible. And he says that is not normal. And to me, yes, that means something very specific. And I'm wondering if that jumped out at you. It did jump out at me, like immediately. That's code for, that used to be code, like in the mid-aughts, let's say, early teens. That was code for someone's doping. Like if you were a comment, commentator on TV, uh, someone attacks and you know that they're doping, you would say, 
this is an alien performance or this is not normal. It was a coded language. The only thing, it's the same thing with like Matej Motoric. Do you remember he like won the tour stage and did like the zip the lips or it was like the shh, like don't talk basically celebration and everyone lost their minds because that was a Lance Armstrong thing. A lot of this is just people our age transposing our stuff onto them. Like, I don't think Philipson knows what that means. Matej Motoric definitely didn't know what that meant. Like these guys were babies when in the, in the mid 2000s or early 2000s. So I, I don't think there was anything. I think that was us picking up something that we thought meant something, but to him was just saying like, this is, this is crazy. Basically. I can't believe that happened. That's possible. I mean, Motorich likely was, it was something related to dropper posts, I would assume. Yeah, don't talk about my dropper post, Brian Cookson. It's safe. That's what he was, that's what he was saying. Don't talk it, just drop it. And <laughs> the dropper post. We're going to we're gonna have to not just a breakout episode, a full breakout media empire about his dropper post and when it will take over the world tour. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. If, if, if Wout was so not normal, shall we say, wouldn't he be winning the Tour de France? I would say Philipson was maybe just a little heated in that moment. His girlfriend, uh, speaking of things that aren't true that were said in that moment, his girlfriend told him, no, no one noticed. Don't worry. No one's talking about this. Um, yeah, no, they, that was like girlfriend of the year material. Um, yeah, that's, that's what he needed to hear in the moment. That's, that's not exactly what was going on. Yeah, I would agree with you that uh, there was... It's unlikely that people didn't notice that. Everyone noticed. And so this episode was split a little bit, spliced up. I mean, you start to notice the formula of these episodes. Writer is introduced. Writer has trouble. Um, inner slice with another team and character. And then writer triumphs in the end. Um, so then they're going through the stage. What stage was that? The stage where Yumbo Visma had all those crashes. That was stage 15, like a really hot day. There was a climate protest on the road, um, really messy day. But then they, they're showing us the team bus, the Yumbo Visma team bus before the start of that stage. And correct me if I'm wrong, but did they, was this a stage where they like basically say, we want everyone with Jonas? And then, well, it's like, well, I'd actually like to sprint for the win here and let it be known. And then, he has a rider crash. I think it's Steven Kreuzwick crashes. And I mean, they make it look like he just leaves them, but at some point you do have to leave them or else you'll miss. You'll just be too far off the back. But then Jonas himself crashes kind of due to that climate protest. And Wout just keeps on rolling, like does not wait for uh, the man that is in the GC lead at the time, which I thought was a little, a little interesting. What, what did you think? Yeah. And then they directly asked Wout about it. And he said, I thought that he'd be able to get back on his own and then stop talking. And that's when I knew he was very well-trained from a media point of view because <laughs> he didn't say anything else. Yeah. I mean, it's not a total, it's not, I mean, it's a true statement. <laughs> he thought he could get back on his own. He did get back, back on his own. It's probably more of a symbolic thing because if you're from Wilde's perspective, he's like, I'm here, I'm trying to win this stage. Gionis is even lucky that I'm helping him on, on anything because I could be like Matthew Vanderpool and he's going to be fine. It's not a big deal. He's going to catch back on. But from a morale perspective and like what your leader needs from you in that moment, just emotionally, you know, by stage 15, you're, you're cracked mentally. Like you probably just need to see that people are there to help you more than anything. You know, that's the only, that's the thing I would take issue with the most with wow, where God, like he probably thought that he needed a position at the front and that was important and Jonas would be fine. But, you know, if you were drawing a team up from scratch, you would, you would not want this dynamic in there at all. It really showed the tension that they have by having Wout the superstar also trying to coexist with Jonas the GC star as well. It struck me as totally bizarre when he popped off in the bus, though. After they received yeah. a team briefing, he said, oh, by the way, actually, I would like to go for the stage win today. And more or less, that's what I'm going to be doing. I, again, in a different era and like, let's set aside things related to doping. The objective of a team that's at the Tour de France that's going for the GC, they hold the yellow jersey. They're close to the end of the race. They need everything going towards that effort. 
and someone says, hey, sorry, I want to go for a win today. Why is that permissible? Well, I get if you're wowed, you're just, if you're Yumbo, you're lucky to have wowed on the team because he presents such, like he can do work that other riders just simply cannot do. As you see on the Otacom stage, I think on stage 18, where you're just not, that's, you're not getting that from anyone else in the world. So I guess you just put up with this to get that. Like if you go back to when Mark Cavendish was on Team Sky, you know, he was going for sprint stages and he was not helping anyone ever. You know, so that that's a worse situation where Cavendish is using team resources to have lead outs in a sprint stage and then never helping you in the mountains at all. So I guess this is quite a bit better than that, but he doesn't win the stage. I mean, that's like if you win the stage, wow, you're a genius. Thank you for doing that. If not, it does look it looks a little silly, in my opinion. I mean, did he need to go for this? I don't think so. I, it probably would have been more important just to focus on Jonas at that point. Clearly, there's some Jerry Springer type components to this. I'm dating myself with that reference. I'm trying to think of some other too hot for TV kind of high drama, high tension narrative. Spencer, can you help me out? Isn't like Maury, but that's the same era, right? That was more uh, of just yeah. are you the father? Uh, not? Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I don't know. I don't know what the equivalent of this would be I think today it's like, on. YouTube, some Steve sort of do it. I don't know. production, like a Real Housewives, yeah. where yeah, it's like some kind of Real Housewives showdown. You know, if we jump ahead to that, the moment when Van Art is gifted the final time trial by Vinegard, it seems like their relationship is very positive, supportive, and that Wout is deeply appreciative of having gotten that stage win. I know we're kind of going out of order here. We'll come back to it later. I have a lot of questions about that. There must, I'm positive that there are bonuses for winning stages at the tour. So there must have been a financial upside there for Wout that Jonas was handing him with that victory. But what, you know, what's the reality of what's going on inside of this team? And is it the case, Spencer, as you noted, because Wout is a generational talent, you kind of just like have to let this guy do whatever because you have to have him on the team. I'm thinking about is this, you know, let Rodman go to Vegas. Robin's like not coming to practice today. He's going to <laughs> Vegas for a couple of days. He'll be back and we'll win the game, right? I thought, yeah, that pretty much that sums it up. <laughs> yeah, like, well, I mean, I was shocked by that. And I think there's been a lot of clever editing. I don't think there was any clever editing with that. I think they gave the team briefing and then Wow Van Art said, actually, I'm going to try to win this stage. What was that like the Kanye West? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm going to let you speak, but give me a minute, guys. I'm going to win this stage. And yeah, I guess you just have to, that's the cost of doing business with a, with a writer like that, a writer that talented. And it wasn't, yeah, well, I guess we'll get to the Jonas thing, but potentially was a, there, good, though, a good investment by Jonas. Yeah, completely. I also, I just want to note on the Yumbo Visma team bus, I'm going to forget the name of the name of the Yumbo DS, but his like deep commitment to those jean shorts. I actually like, I'm out, I'm on Amazon. I'm trying to pick up a pair. Oh, now. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> they're I'm in like, my head. Man, right. Are you like, they're... this is going to be the summer of, of just above knee length, slightly loose jean yes. shorts. Right? Yes. And just generally, anytime I go to Europe in the summer, I'm like, why did I ever go away from the jean shorts? They're alive and well here. And they look fantastic. I think the like little secret there, I bet those jean shorts aren't getting washed that often. I bet you're packing for a grand tour. Two pairs of jean shorts, boom. That's 21 days worth of pants. I would bet that is the strategy there. And we're not talking about jorts out of Valmont. We're talking about just above knee length. I mean, we might even see Jargos making a comeback here in summer 2023. You can look for Spencer and I to be wearing a matching pair at BWR Lawrence. You can see us in Kansas, October 13th and 14th. Hopefully well, you'll it's catch. warm enough to have jean shorts. Yeah. I'm, yeah. 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 Beyond the Peloton and choose the hard way live coming to you at Sunflower Bikes. Dan Hughes will be in touch soon. And so Phillipson wins the stage. Um, wow. We, we, this guy who's can't even, can't even not have poop on his shoes wins the stage. Fantastic. Kind of, kind of overselling it, in my opinion. Like he's a very good sprinter. Um, I thought he kind of emerged at this tour as as one of the best sprinters in the world. Like especially the way he wins the final stage. But 
nice story. I, I thought it was a good episode. What did you think? Yeah, I, I enjoyed the episode. And uh, I, again, the thing that I enjoyed the most, I didn't know that much about Philipson as a person, as I'm sure I didn't know, most, yeah. most people listening to this, just the unfortunate reality of the minute scale and depth that cycling media are able to cover the sport these days. You just don't get any of this. So it's pretty amazing to see this content, the behind the scenes stuff. And I'm here for it all day. We'll get into this with the later episodes. I have to say, I just had no idea what was going on within the race. <laughs> I, I just watching the series. I'm just like, I have no idea what's going on. I mean, it's cool. I kind of get the sense of the story of each stage. I knew that Jonas ended up winning the overall. It was very difficult for me to follow. And I mentioned this earlier that my younger brother, who is not a big cycling fan and does not watch professional cycling, was talking to him yesterday. He started asking me about Thibaut Pino. And then because he's watching on chain, and then he started asking me, can you explain to me how does someone win the race? I mean, he watched the whole series. and He's like, hey, I legit, I have no idea what it means to win the yellow jersey. Can you like break this down for me? So I think that's a pretty significant flaw, flaw in the show. The storytelling <laughs> at the individual level is great. And I agree. I just like, I didn't know what the hell was going on inside the race. They kept flashing up stats like, you know, this mountain, this many meters, this many kilometers. It was just meaningless. It was like, why are you even putting this stuff on the screen? Yeah, I, I, I don't fault anyone for not knowing wh what are these jerseys? Why is someone in green? Why is someone in yellow? What is the point of this race? Because yeah, none of that was covered. And it was fairly linear, linear up to episode five. And then six, seven, and eight is a bit of a mind meld. I mean, you're flying through time and space on these episodes. Um, I was just rewatching this morning. And it was, I, I was confused. I felt like I knew what happened at the race because I watched it closely. And then I got retroactively confused about the race. Episode seven, I, I felt like, didn't need to happen. I didn't need this episode. I thought the Gadoo stuff was interesting. Interesting guy. Um, love the house. Love the podcast. I, I incorrectly attributed his podcast setup or Twitch setup back to episode three, but this is when we saw it. Um, I, I did think it was kind of wild. It's endearing. Wild that he spends his free time playing pro cycling manager, which yeah. you know, if, I had, if I had no family... Um, I lived alone. I probably would be playing PCM, but man, that is a lot of time thinking about cycling. And he's like, he's uh, he's Twitch streaming. He's like talking to cycling fans in playing cycling games in his free time. It's that's pretty intense. Did you ever think about doing that on with kind of like your crit career, like getting a Twitch stream going? No, I wasn't that savvy. I mean, I felt like Twitch was not as far along, but yeah, I should have been twitching, but. Maybe I maybe I'm not married to the sport enough. You know, when I'm at home, I'm I'm a renaissance man. You know, I have different pursuits. I I watch soccer. I like FIFA. I'm I'm a man of culture here, Andrew. I just that's a lot of cycling. I don't know if I could do that. Did it feel to you like they were fab? I mean, the point of these series is often to fabricate drama, which is strange because there is so much inherent drama in what's happening in the race, but. This whole battle between Gadu and Thomas, I was just thinking back to when I was watching the race and how much I did not care yeah. about this. <laughs> yes, that's a very right? good point. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, I was like, do we really need more Garrett Thomas in, in this series at this point? No. And I had that thought this morning, rewatching it. Um, like I'm looking it up. Gadu was fourth. Honestly, I don't even remember. I, I don't think I could tell you <laughs> like three things about his race. I thought maybe the most interesting thing about this whole episode is there was like a post-race interview where he's like, he got dropped on a climb. He's like, I just don't have the confidence. I don't believe in myself to hold the watts necessary to stay with those guys. And I'm getting dropped. And he's really frustrated with himself. Like, that's pretty interesting. The fact that, you know, like, cause you saw him at Perry Nice this year and he was dropping Vindegaard. Like that takes big efforts. And you're like, well, what is, the, what is the difference here? Is Jonas Vinegard that much more talented than David Godou, or does he just believe that he can push the watts necessary without blowing up? And it's more of a mental game because I think, you know, if you listen to like Lantern Rouge podcasts and stuff, you, you start to think that it's all kind of paint by numbers and just do, ride this number and you'll be good. But, you know, I think there is quite a bit of 
maybe more mental battles going on than we think, even between yourself and your power numbers and looking at the power numbers are maybe not good for you. Maybe he shouldn't even be looking at a power meter at that point if, if the numbers are freaking him out a little bit and he's sitting up because of that. This is something that I get into with both Mitch Docker and Brent Bookwalter and the interviews I have coming up on Choose the Hard Way. They're really interesting areas to explore with them, their own experiences with this, and then work that they did during their careers with sports psychologists to address exactly what you're highlighting here, Spencer, which is to unlock the physical potential of the body and to do it repeatably. You often, you know, there's work to be done with the mind. We see the different approaches and I'm thinking about the motivational speech that happens that they kind of position as turning things around that leads to uh, Gadu then having a better performance subsequently. But, you know, it's, it's a bit different for every writer. Another thing I want to note about this episode, <clears throat> just watching where Garrett Thomas sits on his saddle. Ouch. Can we get ouch. this guy? Ouch. I'm like, Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. Man, can we can we have somebody take a look at that position in aisle three? <laughs> Good God. Yeah, and it's it is something. I mean, it's been like 10 years where I've just been looking at this position thinking that looks so uncomfortable. I mean, Specialized came out with the no nose saddle just for this, right? So you don't just sit basically the nose looks like it's going up his rectum. Like he's that far forward <laughs> on it. And you think, is this? Clearly, the team must be looking at this, and they must have run tests and figured this is an efficient saddle position for him. But yeah, it doesn't look comfortable. It looks very far forward. I guess it works for him. I mean, this is the episode where you did start to see the the kind of the limits of Garrett Thomas. I, I thought he was very good. He's obviously very good in the Giro this year. He was very good in the Tour last year, but you know he gets dropped by Wout Van Aert on Otacom on Stage 18. And you're just seeing like there's a huge gulf between uh, Pogacar, Vinegard, and anyone else. Like, as you mentioned, I noticed Garen Thomas because he was often there getting, he was the last rider getting dropped by these guys. I didn't mention or notice could do that much and he finished fourth. There, there was just a massive gulf between the top guys and even Garen Thomas and David Godu at the race last year. And I think this episode maybe unintentionally highlighted that. But yeah, like the, the speech from the FDJ team manager where he's just like screaming at them in the evening. Like that's not, I don't think that's what you need 16 days into a grand tour. Like I thought that was a little played up for the cameras. Um, maybe that helped him ride to fourth. I don't know. But um, this episode did show you like why you put up with all the wow stuff. If you're Yumbo and Jonas, because you have a guy who can get in the breakaway and sit up. And then on one of the hardest climbs of the tour, just pop. Right. He, he dropped Taddy Pogacar. I mean, that is an unbelievable ride. That was totally bananas. I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't go back to Gaudu's Twitch setup and talk about that chair and that mechanical keyboard. It's, it's he had like He had like the full-on gaming chair. It's, uh, you know, they use that BMW chair now for the end of races. They have the person, it's like yeah. a BMW branded like racing car chair. That was similar to the setup that he had in his home studio. I'll be honest, I did feel a bit envious, Spencer. People, of course, can't see our setup right now because we're not uh, we're not currently doing video. Coming soon, and I know that when we do have video, they're going to want us to be in those race car chairs. So that's something yes. we're definitely going to have to look into. That kind of that like Star Wars Emperor style look, I think, is kind of critical. Another thing, this is me really nitpicking here because again, in aggregate, I know that we have some quibbles with this. I think this series is fantastic. I've really enjoyed watching it. If there were 50 hours of this, I would watch all 50 hours because I love professional cycling and I, I just love watching bike racing. I love watching it so much. As Spencer knows, because we both did this. We both even watched USA pro crit national <laughs> championships. Like we're, we're the kind of people we're going to watch. If you got four camcorders from 1984 mounted on tripods with 100x zoom lens and no image stabilization recording a four corner crit we're probably going to watch it and then we're going to rewatch that finish 15 or 20 times so i love this series i will say though i'm just going to a little bit of a nitpick here it felt really cheap to me 
And I felt cheated as a viewer that they used more footage from that Garrett Thomas playground interview in Monaco or wherever he was with his wife and child. It's definitely Monaco, and, yeah. Yeah, in this episode, I was like, come on, like at least take the guy to a, two locations. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, If you're going to drag him back into this series and make me watch more Garrett Thomas when, sorry, other more interesting things I think are going on in the race besides this dynamic and we're going to spend a full episode on it, get me out of that playground. Well, I mean, I think that was a little clever. I think they got like, they probably had two hours with Garrett Thomas and his family and that we were just seeing them in diff on different points of the walk that they let the camera crew come on and then they stretched that out over multiple episodes. I did think it was kind of, we'll get to this at the very end, but he's obviously towards the end of his career. And it's, I used to think of these guys as like gods who just made, tons of money and didn't have to do anything for the rest of your life. And who would want to do anything now that I'm around the same age as Garrett Thomas, I, I was just thinking like, what is he going to do? And you can tell that what happens to a lot of people is they get divorced after they retire because as they're saying, he's never at home. So his wife, they kind of have this rhythm where he's away, they're apart. And then suddenly boom, you're home all the time. And he, he jokes that they're going to get divorced. But that does happen quite a bit. I thought that was the most interesting part of this episode for me is like just kind of him seeing the end, us seeing the end. And for the first time in, in my life as like a cycling fan, just wondering like, what the heck it comes next? It, it can't be an easy transition. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just doing some quick research here because I, was, I know that Garrett Thomas is OBE, Order of the British Empire. I was curious if he's a sir because we're not seeing him labeled as I don't sir think Garrett he is Thomas. A sir. Okay. Only the top two ranks can use the title sir. Right. We're gonna have to do more research on this. I'm sorry. I we'll mean the OBEs are yeah. are getting out of hand. Like it feels like if you like took your trash out correctly for eight straight weeks, you might have an OBE. Right. They, they're giving those things out like candies. I think you might be able to make a little donation and get one of those. Um, we should look into that actually. But so what did you, did you think it was weird that they're showing the stage to uh, the Otacom stage? They, Jonas Vindegaard almost crashes on the descent, which shows you why I think oh. you made a comment a few, uh, maybe the last episode we're like, why is Enios even bothering with trying to get third place? Like this is why you bother because both of those guys could have crashed and Garrett Thomas would have won the race. And then Pogacar does crash like a little bit later on the descent. They don't show that at all. That was, that was so weird. Why did they not I show that? I assume because they wanted to, it, it sells Wout's performance even more. If you don't show the crash and then Wout's dropping Pogacar, it's kind of more uh, dramatic than it's like, well, this guy just crashed and he's hurting and that's why he got dropped by Wout Van Aert. Like it's a little they bit also of creative. Had that, they did that like fake awkward handshake though, remember? And they didn't show that either, which I, that must have been they, after a Pagacha crash, right? Yes, because Jonas waited for him. They do a handshake. I mean, obviously, like what interest is Jonas? He's up like two and a half minutes at that point. He's not going to like risk just like ripping down the descent by himself, ride the valley alone. It didn't make any sense for him to attack there. He was yeah, a great decision also, to sit up. To jump ahead to episode eight, I don't recall Jonas almost crashing in that time yeah. trial. Do you? Do, I, I don't remember. I do seeing remember that this. Oh, you do remember it okay. because I remember it did thinking, happen. The only way he loses this tour is crashing in this TT. Like he basically could not ride so poorly that he would have lost it. Yeah. So to me, this shows you like I think maybe the the. Criticism levied at Jonas is he's not a psychopath. This should show you he's a psychopath because there was absolutely no reason to be pushing that. And the man almost runs into a mountain, like a, a cliff wall, loses the tour because he's trying to get like an extra fraction of a second during the, cor the corner of a time trial. So it does give you a little window into his mind and maybe how competitive he is. Yeah. Should we jump on to episode eight here? Anything you want to yeah, wrap I think up we with episode Pretty seven? much covered most of episode eight yeah. with those two comments. Um I feel like they were I mean the Fabia Jakobsen going for the the time cut, I, I I don't think I had seen that. So that was pretty I thought that was like one of the cooler moments of the episode. Um I guess I mean Jakobsen at that point 
I was I was kind of considering him shot. So it's like, oh, it's cool he makes this time cut, but let's understand this guy's not going to get a result um, anywhere else in this race because this has been a brutal tour. Philipson is the much better climber. Like he was always going to be better positioned for the Paris sprint. And then at the other big thing in this episode is the Jonas Wout Venar time trial, where apparently Vindegaard told his director if it's between me and Wout, tell me, and I'll sit up and let him win. I guess a very nice thing to do. Um, it's a little, it's kind of, did you think it was, is it a little passive aggressive or is that just me? Am I, am I putting my own feelings into that? No, I think that it's sending a signal, Spencer. Okay. I, <laughs> I mean, I think it's both, it's great. Way. Yeah, it's both a nice gesture and it's putting him in his place and letting him know, yeah, I'm actually, I'm the man. That's what I, that's how I read it. I mean, I, it, I, I would take a tour stage win. Wout seemed very moved by it. My wife had a good point of like, does Wout Van Art really care about tour stage wins? Like this guy can... The next day, he doesn't try to win the stage, and he probably could have. But clearly, it meant a lot to him. Um, this year, he's not going for green, or so he says. He's just more committed to Jonas. So, I mean, maybe this was a good, a really good investment by Jonas to give it away. I, I mean, we saw Lance Armstrong gift a stage on Mamban 2 to Marco Pantani, and he thought that would be like a good diplomatic thing to do, and that it only made the relationship worse because Pantani was insulted by being gifted a stage. I mean, that, to me, that's always the risk with, with doing something like this. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of weirdness going on. And we're outside the team. We're only seeing what the cut is in the show. I am really curious what the dynamic is inside of the team and what we're going to see go down this year. And I know we're doing our tour preview tomorrow. I will tell you that I, I, can, I can't make any sense of what Enios is doing heading into the 2023 oh tour. I, other than, I guess, they don't have a chance in hell other than maybe Pidcock winning a stage, I guess. But yeah, and we'll get back to that later. I, I I was, personally, I was very moved by the manner in which they constructed this episode, both by the Jakobsen narrative as well by the Wout. Yeah, like Wout, when he's in his hotel room and says, yeah, actually, like I have self self-doubt sometimes. This is hard for everybody, including me. That kind of struck me. It didn't, I didn't think that he was doing that for the camera. And I think it does give you an insight into what it takes to perform at this level, even for someone who, you know, is it like an Elon versus Mark Zuckerberg uh, UFC fight <laughs> level of ability, right? Like this guy is an operating Dayton level seven. He can do anything he wants, he can control space and time. And I also have to note with, that Jakobsen effort to make the time cut. Spencer, how many Cat 3s on the bus stop ride or like to see me ride out in LA, watched that and thought, you know, I could take him? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I was just on a Boulder group ride before this episode and multiple people mentioned being able to out, in their minds, being able to outclimb sprinters and uh, no you cannot <laughs> let me let me tell you guys they would you, destroy you, you they would absolutely destroy you like don't kid These yourself time cuts <laughs> are so brutal the fact that he can even make the time cut is unbelievably impressive i bet fabio jacobson could win almost any local climbing competition in the u.s yeah if people are completely decoupled from reality when it comes to the level of climbing that these guys have like they would be considered, they were racing in the U.S. And we used to see this at, you know, think about it. Peter Sagan won the Tour of California overall. And he's not even that good of a climber in the grand scheme of things. And there was a summit finish. Like they, these, Fabio Jakobsen would eat up some of the toughest climbs in the U.S. for breakfast. So be under no illusions that they're bad climbers. So let's move to the Champs-Élysées. Look, never looked better, in my opinion. Kind of the later finish with the sun setting or the kind of the, the late afternoon Parisian glow as they finish. I thought it looked fantastic. Um, it was funny that, yeah, I remember uh, Philipson, I remember this when it happened, he, he jumped on, I believe it was like the bike exchange rider. His, his train kind of falls apart and he jumps on bike exchange and his director says, oh no, he screwed up. But that was actually the winning move because it put him forward, just perfect sprint, perfect position through the final corner, great sprint, not even close, just wins the thing, 
you know, running away with it. Um, so it's like a funny reminder that even someone as smart as Christoph Ruthoff just doesn't like no one. No one really knows anything when it comes to the sport of pro cycling. You can think something's bad in the moment, but it actually is the race winning move. You know, to me, that was like one of the most interesting things about the episode. What and then I have had this pet theory that Wout is secretly going for the Mercs stage win yeah. record, and then he doesn't go for the stage here. You have to wonder though, did he perhaps just not have good legs after everything he'd thrown down? And I guess we we didn't talk about this because I said let's jump out of the Champs Elysees. Were you surprised that Wout didn't win that time trial? Do you think that he was a diminished rider at that point and he was finally feeling the effects of a three-week Grand Tour? And riding, you know, the way he rode, if any other rider had done it, you would have said this is bananas throughout that tour. Just wasted a lot of energy, had a lot of great results, yeah. but not a, not a real efficient use of his, his energy. High TSS. Well, he did win the time trial, right? Because he was gifted it. Right. Yeah. But yeah, well, I guess, sorry. Yes, you're right. But I mean, Jonas gifted him the stage. That's why he won. Thank you for correcting me. He of course won the stage, but he did not actually win the stage. He was gifted the stage. It's both surprising and not surprising. It's surprising because he's a better time trialist than Jonas Vindegaard. But what happens, a little free betting advice here, at the end of Grand Tours, it is almost always the GC contenders who win those time trials because the fact that they're the best GC contenders in the world means that they can recover better than everybody else. And by stage 20 of a grand tour, they're just at a higher level than, than a time trial specialist or someone like Wout, who's good at everything and also a great time trialist. So it's actually quite unusual for a non GC contender to win the final time trial in, in a race like the tour. So I wasn't so surprised, but yeah, I think you're onto something. I think he was a gifted the stage. So he thinks, well, I wouldn't have had this. Now I have this. I should, I should support Jonas when he doesn't need it <laughs> on the Champs-Élysées when it looks good, when the camera's around. And yeah, my legs are fried because I rode a crazy race. I rode Quinn Simmons off my wheel on stage seven for no reason whatsoever. And, and it was in the break all day. And I just did a time trial the day before. Jasper Philipson didn't just do a time trial really hard. So I, I would bet yeah he just thought i don't have the legs and this is going to look good if i just celebrate with the team i hadn't thought about it until this moment but nothing related to quintana in this entire documentary no, no. right i mean, I mean by, yeah yeah i mean of course he got wiped from the results because of his his legal was it legal not a, was not in breach of anti-doping rules he just used to like casually used a little bit of tramadol i mean yeah you know. he was just he was viked out of his mind for the, for the race it's no big deal um well it's a it's actually it's not allowed by cycling in competition it's not against yeah. like international doping code so he just lost his result i had honestly forgotten about him until i saw this and i kept seeing his name up there yeah, he had a great tour. There's nothing in it. Even on a on just to like take that even further. Do you think since this is an ASO, ASO is like a production partner, like they've given given permission to do this, the owners of the tour. Do you think that they don't want so much character development from the riders because they want the main character to be the tour and they don't want individual riders usurping the importance of the tour? Like if this becomes if Tade Pogacar becomes a super mega star from this documentary and then Pogacar decides to do the Giro and, t- and pulls attention away from the tour, like that's their worst nightmare. Like I kind of wonder if that's why, like if you watch Full Swing, it, it's shocking how much more character, character development is in Full Swing than this. Spencer, what you're suggesting is that this is like an M. Night Shyamalan movie. That the twist at the end is that the movie the The tour is the star not the writers yeah exactly yeah Yeah, i think yeah sure i mean it makes sense yeah i agree with that that the tour is actually the star that's what the series is actually about the whole time you thought it was about these writers you thought it was about the fancy gaming chair that looks like a bmw (laughs) race car you thought it was about the mechanical keyboard you thought it was about garen thomas so far forward on the tip of that saddle, you thought it might vivisect him. In fact, it's about the Tour de France. <laughs> the Tour, it, yeah, it's not about winning the Tour. It's about the 
the winner is the tour we made along the way. That's what this is about. And I mean, it is like, there is, does seem to be a subtle thing of like, Jonas Vindegaard would be nothing without the Tour de France. You know, that's to me, the subtle subtext of the, of the thing. I mean, and it kind of hurts the character development. Um, did you notice at the very end when they're on the Champs-Élysées, it must be an amazing moment, by the way, I cannot imagine finishing the tour, even if you're just terrible the entire time, how good that would feel to be in Paris and to be done with the race. Did you notice they showed Bora? And I had forgotten Bora was part of this show and Bora got cut. And, but what's crazy is I think they, didn't they have a rider finish fifth overall, Alexander Vlasov? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they must've just been, yeah, there's crapping, cracking a few Michelob ultras after the finish. Yeah. And they're not there. They're not there. So yeah, that is funny to think that there was another team and they're just like, yeah, you guys are too boring. Nothing happened. Uh, you're cut out. Sorry. Let's, Sorry let's go we a bit deeper on business. these. Let's go a bit deeper on these French riders. Yeah, we need two episodes about the French riders, not the Russian rider who uh, has been stripped of his ability to race under his own nation's flag and whose country invaded another country during uh, the season. We don't, we don't want to, we don't want that. We, we need two French episodes. Um, yeah, I when I complained about this, when I complained about this at home, my wife told me I was a narrow-minded American and I suppose she's right. Yeah, I think there is something to that. The, clearly, that's that's the subtext for this. But um, I thought there maybe were other stories they could have told. But then we would have missed the mechanic, mechanical keyboard, the chair, the setup. So I guess I'm glad we had that. Did you notice? I mean, they're clearly trying to tell us like this guy's not the best because he's not meticulous. They showed his like Gadoo's pile of like misplaced helmets in the corner. They're just like helmets stacked right. on top of each other. Yeah, like. Yes, that yes, that is why he's not the best. Not because he's uh, can't hold seven watts per kilo for twenty minutes and also be the best climber and time trialist in the world. He, it's his messiness around the house, which is why he's not great at cycling. I thought that was a I, bit of a reach. Yeah, I actually think it's because no one yelled at him for long enough before yes. that performance. Yeah. And you can like see their dinner laid out, and it's like these guys just want to eat. <laughs> let the let the men eat. Don't yell at them. Um, do you have any other parting thoughts before we say goodbye to this season of Tour de France Unchained? During the 2022 Tour de France, I thought it was the greatest bike race that I've ever watched. <laughs> Rewatching it, I think it's the greatest bike race I've ever watched. I'm really looking forward to the 2023 Tour. I couldn't be more excited for it. And I think having that look inside the race, it, you know, I think when we look back at last year, when we forget all of the drama that happened within Yumbo, all of the crashes, all of the bizarre bike changes, all the moments, you know, when Jonas almost flew off the road, the race really could have gone in another direction. And I know that you and a number of other people have mocked me for saying, I don't think Jonas is going to win the tour again this year. I don't think he's going to win the tour again this year. Well, you bring up a good point, like how much luck is involved, but not emphasized. Like think of Steven Kreuzwick as teammate. That was like a nothing stage, right? The Carsicon stage where he crashes and breaks his collarbone and he's out of the race. And Jonas crashes on the same stage, doesn't break his collarbone, continues on, wins the race. But that easily could have been Jonas. You know, he just could have crashed right there. Boom, he's out. Like I'm already nervous for this weekend because the tour, as we'll talk about tomorrow in our preview. The tour is really difficult at the start. And you're like, God, if, if Pogacar or Jonas crash out, like that's going to be devastating or worse, both. And it, it could happen. Like so much of this hinges on luck. Um, and I, I mean, obviously they didn't really emphasize that, but it, the show did remind me of that, particularly episode seven, where you see Yumbo just like suffer through all these crashes. And it's like, man, that, they could have just lost their leader right there. Pagachar wins the race. You forget Jonas ever looked as good as he did. Yeah. So I think let's carry this feeling with us into the rest of the day, Spencer, and then we'll be back tomorrow. All right. Be, be lucky, folks. That is, the, that is how you win the tour. Well, thanks, Andrew. And we will talk tomorrow about the 2023 Tour de France. Wait, just one quick question. You think this was better than the 2003 Tour de France, the 2022 Tour de France? Let's talk about it tomorrow. All right. All right. Something to think about overnight. I will. Thanks so much. And we will talk to you soon.